When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to Wannabe, the podcast that takes you from where you are now to where you want to be in 30 minutes or less. I'm Imriel Morgan, founder of Content is Queen, a podcast agency and club for ambitious podcasters with phenomenal taste, high expectations, and a desire to sound as good as I do right now. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. Wannabe's focus is to help you take consistent action to build a successful life and career in the creative and entertainment industry. Coming up are three phenomenal guests who are about to help you own your identity, find power in community, and why you should check in with your body before it's too late. Let's do this. In today's episode, I'm super pumped to bring you a soul-enriching conversation with Kenny Ethan-Jones. Kenny is a model, entrepreneur, and activist who focuses on menstruation, body politics, mental health, and intimacy. Kenny's goal is to start open and respectful conversations about all things trans in the hopes of attaining equality for all trans people. What a G. The focus of this interview is to help you make an impact through your work, and we talk about what it really takes to be an activist and an ally. Let's get into it. Who did you want to be before you became who you are today and why? This is probably, it's not a wrong answer, but it's a weird one. Nobody. <laughs> Interesting. Just because I've never like wholly idolized anybody. Just because I've always seen people as multiple like dimensional beings and like I don't understand every aspect of their life. So how could I want to be them? Do you know what I mean? Like I really liked Pharrell growing up because I thought, damn, that man has style. And like I loved his skin complexion and the way he stayed young. And I idolized him for that, but never like, you know, the way he treated his friends or any of those things. So I've never idolized somebody wholly, but I've taken aspects that I've liked of people and tried to incorporate them as a part of my kind of characteristics and identity. That's really cool. What examples would you give of traits that maybe you got from Pharrell that you liked? I started off as a model and there was something about being well-dressed, kind of like that linked to confidence for me. So I used Pharrell as like inspiration of being like, I want to dress better because I did not have a very good style growing up. (laughs) Didn't understand much about fashion. So yeah, Pharrell was helpful in that aspect. I think most of the other kind of qualities that I I liked, and this came from multiple people, but was confidence and just this kind of ability to live in their truth was something I always admired because, you know, growing up feeling marginalised and feeling kind of like I'm fighting the world every day, I felt like I needed the confidence to, to be able to be myself, to, to not over, only like, I don't know, somehow like have a better transition, but just to become the truest version of myself and who I wanted to be as a person outside of my transness. So I just, I always knew that I was going to require a lot of confidence. That's awesome. And yeah, I suppose that would be true because you, that's the, the key to life. Like key to success is like having the confidence in the belief system and the mindset that like you can go forth and do and achieve the things that you want to achieve. And you really can't, like, I don't know anyone that's managed to like reach great heights without like at least like some inner confidence, whether they express that outwardly or not. I'm really intrigued about like this kind of idea of style and being well-dressed, being like such a, 
what well, it sounds like quite a significant contributor to your own personal confidence. Like, do you know where that comes from at all? When I was growing up, my teenage years, a lot of my friends became models. And so like, I just used to, like, I always used to uphold models with being confident. And so I also associated that with being well-dressed and presenting well. And it was obvious to me, like, I don't know, this might seem very basic, but from the idea that you always used to see men in suits and they used to walk around like they had the most confidence in the world. So it was just all this kind of knowledge that I had gone, oh, wow, well, being well-dressed will make you feel this way. And so I just, I, I just ended up putting a lot of effort at one point into being fashionable, which trickled out over the years. But I think it was just, it was a part of my journey that was, that was, it was nice and it was needed. Does that still feel like true for you today? And what is the thing that contributes to your confidence today? My, my knowledge. So just like knowing whenever I come, especially when I'm arguing about like transness or I'm in debates, it's like knowing my facts, like knowing my shit is is what's going to hold that confidence. Nothing like artificial or anything else is going to do that. Yeah, they add to my confidence, but it's not, it's not what's going to make me feel powerful in that conversation. Or, you know, on that challenge. That makes total sense. Knowledge is power, as they say. That's really interesting. At what point did that kind of shift happen where you were like, actually, I want to feel more confident in in my intelligence? What was the process? So I think the kind of best example was when basically I stepped into activism. And so when I first became an activist, a lot of what I was relying on was personal experience. So I was using that as a way to educate people. Which was good and it serves a purpose. And I think that to some extent, like that humanizes the situation and people respond a lot better to personal experiences. But when I was getting in more political debates with people that were more right winged, data and facts were what spoke. And so as much as my personal experience was, was, was good and had got me so far in my activism, I felt like in order to take myself to that next level, I had to attach like data in order to basically make myself come across as more professional or to be listened to more. And so it, it, it came to a point where, you know, I was, you know, being offered to go onto TV and things of that form. And I was like, I don't, I don't know how to answer these questions outside of my personal experience. And I just felt like, I don't know, I just felt like I, they didn't respect me as much. And so I invested a lot into actually like learning the figures, the statistics around trans people to basically, to help my, to help argue my case essentially. And just to be more factual, I just think it's a lot more powerful when you attach personal experience to data. And so, yeah, I spent a lot of time kind of like purposely investing into reading stories of trans people, looking at books that described the transphobia that we faced. But yeah, it was definitely like, I need to learn this and I need to learn this now. But obviously, like you can only read so many books in a day. So <laughs> it still took a, it still took a while to kind of gain the knowledge in which I have today. But it's, it's always a process when it comes to knowledge. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I am curious about like this process though, because you said it was very much like a case of, it, it started when you felt like you had to step into activism, which is such a big decision to make. It's really putting yourself on the front lines of arguably quite like dangerous and sometimes unpleasant situations. I'm just curious about the mental health aspect, because if you're consuming stats, facts, data, stories, personal experiences, arguably the reason that we need activists to advocate is because life is not very good. (laughs) You know, these are not good situations. Like these are dangerous and harmful and oftentimes fatal for trans people in particular. How were you dealing with the consumption and your mental health? What was that process like? That's such a good question. And the honest answer is that I wasn't. I wasn't thinking about my mental health. I was thinking about being the best I could be. Um, and that was my primary focus. And I came second to that, which mm. looking back was not not the right decision, but it, it, was, it was what I committed to. And 
for the most part, I destroyed my mental health. And, you know, I was, I, it got to a point which I found it very hard to find joy in my life because I was so consumed by the negatives. But I think it, over time, you know, I kind of found this balance with accepting that this is the world that we live in. And, you know, this is the kind of discrimination that trans people face. But also I'm doing my best of my ability to make that not happen. But also I need to give myself a break within it. Mm. Um, and that I can't continue to live this way. It was the same kind of process when I started to learn about racism as well. Being mixed race and like where I sit in that conversation and my privilege that I hold as, as someone who is black, like all of those things and trying to like make sure that I'm doing the right thing for myself as well as my community, it's, it's difficult. And I don't think there's any right answer in a way to take care of your mental health. But I, I would say what I would have done looking back would just at some point in the day to, just start to check in with myself just to be like, how are you actually feeling? Like, pay attention to your body. Like, I always mm. felt stressed. I was always clenching my jaw. Like, just those things that I just, I just felt heavy as a person. Um, and I, yeah, I wish looking back that I kind of like took a minute to like breathe and just to kind of say to myself, I'm doing the best that I can rather than trying to become the person that solves transphobia. Like, <laughs> I don't know why I set myself up for such a hard challenge, but yeah, I think it's important to give yourself a break and that there's other people within your community that are within this fight and knowing that sometimes when you take a step back, they take a step forward. And the best way in which I do that is like now, whenever it comes to kind of like picking my battles on the internet, basically, I pick it when I know I have the strongest argument. So for instance, when JK Rowling came with all her transphobia, I was like, I am the one. Like, I am the person for this, you know what I mean? I talk about gender equality all the time. It was in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm a person of colour. I felt like the perfect person to, to argue this case. And there's other arguments that I see that I go, do you know what, actually, I know someone else who's more educated to that that's going to come with a much stronger argument than I can. And I, and I know that they feel the same way. So I'm going to just leave it for a second. And so I think it's, yeah, the most important thing is, you know, knowing when to pick your battles and, you know, knowing when to rest and breathe. Oh, I love that. That's such a great answer. What I really appreciated about your answer as well was the fact that you spoke about the feelings you were feeling, like the clenching of your jaw, like I feel that, and the tenseness in your body, because it does, it has, it's not only like mental, but the, that mental trickles down into the physical and that checking in with yourself is so important. And But it's the easiest and quickest thing to go out the window. Like, <laughs> Like everyone forgets to do that. I, I really appreciate your honesty around, you know, the fact that it just wasn't a priority in the beginning. And I'm glad that you have been able to find the balance. We'll get back to Kenny in just a minute. I want to share someone who has popped up on my radar for a little while now. Comedian Dane Baptiste, who has kept a lot of people laughing throughout these crazy times. He's got something he'd like to share with you. Take it away, Dane. Hi, I'm Dane Baptiste. I am a comedian, writer, occasional actor and podcaster from South East London. I have been a comedian for about 10 years and some change. And throughout that time, I've been happy and lucky enough to do all of my favorites. So you might know me from Mock the Week or Live at the Apollo or from my sitcom, which I wrote and started in, which is called Sunny D on the BBC iPlayer, which is the first black British sitcom to be shown on British TV in 20 years. And with that, I am also the first black Briton to ever be nominated for an award in Edinburgh's entire history. So, you know, I've done okay, and I'm um, always trying to do better, especially in the lockdown. So what have I been doing? I've been trying to improve. I've been trying to cut down on processed sugar because I've had to leave lockdown only to go to the dentist. And while it's good to get out of the house, having someone's face and hands down my throat where I can't scream as they draw my face is not fun. I've been trying to do a lot more exercise as well because it's very easy to get carried away when you get all these offers from Deliveroo on your phone. So I'm trying to calm down and take away cook for myself because it's healthier and the foods made with love. 
in order to pass the time when reading a lot of books uh, i have just recently purchased a book called guns germs and steel which is so far so good i've also procured a book which is called behold the pale horse uh, because conspiracy theory has been going through the roof socially and globally on this planet and i want to find out why so i like to research the world that i live in and um, I'm also rereading the autobiography of Malcolm X because it's a great book and it began my uh, start into comedy. So 10 years later, I'm doing a little retrospective. So these are things I've been doing. If you're feeling the vibes or even thinking Dane is my kind of guy, then be sure to follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets and Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Now back to Kenny. I would really like to get down into you today because you've now done like some really really phenomenal projects some collaborations your activism is really right up there especially around the stuff around menstruation talk to me about why that became one of the bigger talking points for you in particular well this is the part in which I say that I fell into it <laughs> it wasn't my intention I didn't I didn't come you know to the space going right I'm gonna advocate for gender equality within period space like it wasn't a thing at the time I was a model I kind of like knew what activism was, but I wouldn't classify myself as an activist. Like I was always having conversations with uh, trans men around, you know, just uplifting their confidence and making them believe in themselves. But it wasn't on a, a public platform. This was when like MySpace existed. And so this was like through like DM and stuff. So a long time ago now. And then, yeah, I got offered this job to be a part of a period campaign by my modeling agency. And I was like, I think they got the wrong end of the stick here, right? Why have they messaged me to be a part of a period campaign? There's, something's, something's, something's wrong. And then they were like, no, Kenny, like, they basically want to represent all genders who bleed a, a part of this campaign and kind of just advocate for a, a, a better message and more inclusive message. And so I was like, OK, I need to go to, on the phone to them. I need to understand this because at that time there wasn't conversations around trans men having periods. It just did not exist. Mm. And so went on the phone to them, felt rest assured that they had their hearts in the right place with the campaign and what they were trying to achieve. And, you know, I had a decision to make because at that point, um, a part of me, like this is the mental process I was going through. I didn't want to participate on the campaign because biology has been used against trans people for years. And so I was mm -hmm. very aware that if, you know, I step into the space of aligning our bodies with what classifies generally as the female body, I would be doing a disservice for trans people. So I was also highly aware of that. And so I didn't know if I wanted to do it. But growing up, kind of like periods were probably one of the most like traumatic experiences for me. Um, it was where I suffered the most dysphoria. It was what like it was just such a hard part of me, like my life growing up as a trans person. And so why why I did it was like, I don't want any other person to go through that experience and feel isolated and, you know, feel like fractured in that identity because you're having an bodily experience that is only associated with women. I just didn't want that for somebody else. And so I decided to do it. And so I did it. I, th I thought nothing would come of it. I just thought I'm going to get a load of hate messages and that'll be the end of it. But I feel like I've done my job. And then it wasn't that. It, it was a global campaign. It had like over 200 features, 19 national stories, shortlisted for two PR awards. It just went like wildfire. And I found myself from being this little fish on Instagram that just basically posted selfies and sometimes spoke about transness to, you know, being seen like, oh, wow, like you know, welcome to the period space. Like, we're so grateful you're here. And I was just like, wow. Like, this is, this is really something. That's where my, uh, my career as an activist started. I never knew what kind of response was going to come from that campaign. And I just think I was the right person at the right time. 
and, and, and I put myself out there. And that's, that's why I got that job. And that's why I am where I am today, really. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's so cool. Well done. Like, congratulations on that. And truly just well done. Because that that's like the story of, of everyone that has like these, these experiences that kind of feel normal to you but you won't know that until you you open up and actually like this is an experience I have <laughs> who can relate I'm a cisgendered black woman like I never thought about it it's just never never crossed my mind and why would it like that's not my personal experience I don't have trans friends in my immediate circle this just mostly on my digital and online so- uh, circle that I kind of have actively sought out those voices right so like for people who who don't know, like for the fact that the fact that it could go wider and beyond your own network is just so impactful and so important. And in terms of, you know, the community that you've managed to build up, what's the response been like in terms of people that may misunderstand what it could mean to be a trans man, what it means for to use the term people who menstruate? And, and it's coming from like a genuine place of ignorance as opposed to a malicious place of trolling. How are you navigating those kinds of conversations? Because I think that's really where the majority lies and they're, si- they're a silent majority rather than the loud. I've gotten to a point where I can kind of read a comment or a DM and know what the intentions of that person is, but that comes with time. Um, so when I first was trying to feel out those conversations, I was spending a lot of time investing into people that were just against trans people and, you know, often leaving me feeling quite heartbroken because they were coming to the conversation acting like they had the best of intentions and then would take me down this road of basically just transphobic abuse. And so through those kind of experiences, I learned that actually, you know, there's, there's a different way that those two people come into a conversation. One comes in with kind of this acknowledgement that they don't know nothing about trans people they, or their knowledge is minimal and that they're just they're open to experience but they know that they're ignorant and so they're willing to learn and they're not going to argue back with me about things that I'm saying they just take it for fact which is how it should be treated and then there's the type of people that come to me with like an argument and then say that I'm sensitive or tone policing or they come with whatever they can come with and so I focus on the first type of person There's lots of people that come into my DMs, you know, and on my comments underneath posts basically saying, I don't really understand this. I want to, but I don't want to be rude and I don't want to offend, but I I don't really understand this. And so sometimes it just takes that, you know, extra line of explanation to kind of make them understand rather than leaving that person and them feeling like they can't come to this space to be educated and they leave. And they're just like, whatever, I don't want to learn. It's a lot of responsibility on, you know, my behalf or activists because it's like this consistent kind of like, unpaid labor 
of responding to people in, in order to, to gain more allyship. But, you know, I see that as a part of my job. And so what I try to do now is I, I take experiences that I have in my DMs that are like that. And I take it to, you know, my stories on my feed. And I say, I, I break down the conversation, you know, and I, so I use kind of everything, all of my experiences as teaching moments for others. I think that's really useful. Even in conversations about race, some people really just don't want to learn and that's not what they're coming to you for. They're just coming to debate your lived experience and to debate your humanity. And who's got time for that? I can't argue with you as if you can't even get to the basic of human. <laughs> like, I am a person and I get that you don't understand all of the layers and complexities of my identity. That's fine. That happens. But like, what we're not going to do is start off by debating whether those experiences are valid or not like you just can't you can't start an argument in that place what i've invested in setting boundaries for those conversations and how much i'm willing to engage even in educating people because at the end of the day if i spend all of my energy investing into these small conversations which i do think is important but if i do that all of the time i don't have enough energy to fight the big fights i have a rule that sometimes if i get into a conversation with someone in dms i'll only message them three times and that mm. conversation needs to be enough for me to feel like I've done the right thing, I've left them with enough education, but I can step back and preserve my energy. Yeah, that makes total sense. I'm also a big advocate of people creating little reading lists and being like, here's where you need to go. <laughs> like, I am not your teacher. I appreciate that you came to me and you felt I, I, you felt I was approachable enough to answer this for you. And I definitely am and willing to, but here's, here's some further reading. And that's good the best luck, way. And speed. <laughs> uh, come back with questions. <laughs> So, you said earlier on in the conversation that there is a sense of responsibility sometimes around the work that you do and how, where you've positioned yourself that people are going to come to you for these things and it feels important and necessary that like because one mind can change a vote and a vote can change another vote and another vote and that's impacting actual having physical impact on lives so yeah I can understand why that feels like a weight on your shoulders but it is important to have those boundaries thank you so much Kenny was life. I loved, loved, loved talking to him. Be sure to follow Kenny on Instagram at Kenny Ethan Jones. I've been a fan for a hot minute and he never disappoints with his content and his generosity to educate others. So please go and follow this man. Before we wrap up, actress Amanda Stenberg has something she'd like to share with you about the power of community. Take it away, Amanda. When I was in high school, I didn't feel comfortable speaking up against microaggressions within my own community at school that made me feel uncomfortable because I don't think I was ready to but I also didn't have the community around me mm. to make me feel comfortable and supported in doing that now I do you know and it took me some time to unlearn some internalized notions around myself or how much space I'm allowed to take up or being too much, or being too little, mm. you know, and, and I think I had to talk it out with people that I love, and have those conversations, and kind of process it, and get it out of my head, um, and realize the way in which I had grown up, um, and, and the, the life existence, you know, that I have, yeah. as like a black woman, has affected you know, my, my feelings around what I deserve to be able to say or do, and I guess the advice that I would give is is to seek out the help that you need. And I feel like that is so important to getting rid of internalized notions and and processing like specific events within our communities, relying upon community and community yeah. building. That's a wrap. 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope this half an hour has brought you inspiration, motivation, and more importantly, joy. I'd like to encourage you to think about one person who needs a little joy in their day and share this episode with them right now. If you'd like the extended interview with Kenny, all you have to do is screenshot and share this episode to your Instagram stories and tag at contentisqueenhq. Until next time, bye. This is a Content is Queen production hosted by me, Imriel Morgan. Edited by Amber Miller and Joseph Perry. Sound design by Amber Miller. Music and sound effects are from Epidemic Sound. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> <laughs> 